There's a couple of interesting ones out there. There should be some kind of a contest. Somebody should win something on the way out of here today. Hat, yeah. <laughs> Suzette, you more than likely would win something with that hat, I just got to say. I'm just saying, just saying. I know, I know you did a spectacular job. Uh, I do want to ask us if you would keep in your prayers uh, Eric's wife, Erin. She needed to be visiting the hospital this morning to get a couple of tests run on some issues that look like something like Bell's palsy, uh, but not, not real sure right now. And so they're still running some tests today and grateful for your prayers. I know Eric is grateful for your prayers as well. And we'll certainly keep you updated on the prayer chain. If you want to tune into your prayer chain in the next 24 hours, we'll make sure and let you know how to be praying for them this morning. Well, we have a banner up that says a new normal, a study in Acts, and, and we're going to talk this morning about the resurrection and Easter. And you know, this, this new normal banner for us, if you're just connecting with us today and you haven't been studying through the book of Acts, we're all the way into Acts chapter 8 at this point, but we're studying the book of Acts underneath this banner. The reality that things in our lives, spiritual things, things about God, things that are supposed to matter to us in incredible ways, suffer in our lives from this continuous downgrade. Just things deteriorate. You know, if you go springtime, I'm sure you're doing some work around your house. Things deteriorate, don't they? Stuff is broke, stuff is rotting, paint is coming off. Well, stuff in our lives spiritually, they deteriorate. And so here we are this morning. And, and we're celebrating Easter. We're celebrating the resurrection. And I, I don't know, maybe, maybe the celebration of Easter has, has faced its own sense of downturn, decrease. It's just not what it was. Is it, is it what it was ever supposed to be? I mean, how do you celebrate an event like Easter? Right? I mean, actually, my wife and I have been kind of racking our brains a little bit. Uh, we've got family coming over today, so we're celebrating Easter, but we're also, we're celebrating my dad's 95th birthday. It's on Tuesday. Yeah. Amazing. And, you know, I don't know, by the time you get to be 95, I think you've given every gift you can think of. Uh, you know, what do you give the 95-year-old man? Uh, how do you celebrate something that significant? How do you celebrate 95 years of life. But celebrations mean something. Celebrations are a reflection that you and I have stared at something and responded to it. That's what celebration is, right? It's spontaneous when the guy crosses the touchdown and scores winning touchdown. Spontaneous celebration. What about celebrating Easter for how many times you've celebrated? It was a little sobering for me. I'm I was counting my Easter celebrations and realizing this would be my 50th Easter celebration. That is, that's weird. That's just weird for me to say that. 50 is a strange number. I'm not 50 yet, but if you do the math correctly, they realize in my first year, right, do the math, it's my 50th Easter celebration. So I'm asking you guys, you know, what are y'all doing today? What are you, what are you doing to celebrate Easter? Right, I know, you know, I'm, I'm not going to rail on whether you got eggs involved or bunny rabbits involved and all that kind of stuff. Hey, hey, in reality, you could really be coming up short just going to church and hanging out with your family today. You really could be coming up really, really short for this event. 
2,000 years ago, the Son of God overcame death. Now, whether you're thinking about it or not or recognize it, you've been, you've been thinking about death. You've been thinking about it this week. You might be thinking about it from an angle that it doesn't advertise itself that, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about death. But, you know, whether you're trying to grab all the gusto you can because the clock is ticking and you know at some point you won't be able to do that, you won't be able to do it as well as you used to do it, you won't be able to run as fast, play as hard, spend as much, or you just recognize your life on this earth is limited. You're, you're thinking about death and the Son of God overcame death. The son of God was, was a man who did something that no one else has ever done. He died and then he was resurrected. Now, now you might be saying, well, but people, people have died and come back to life. Yeah, yeah, they have. They have. You know, what's really interesting is I thought about this message this morning. So I want to look at what Jesus talked about when he came back to life. But I want to compare that with some other people that have come back to life, right? Let's come back to life stories. They're not new. They've been around in history. Let me give you a few of them. I'll race through these. I think we've got some quotes up here. Yep. All right. Here's Admiral Beaufort. Royal Navy Admiral nearly drowned in Portsmouth Harbor in 1795. When prompted by his physician, he described an experience that is now almost cliche. Traveling backwards... Every past incident of my life seemed to glance across my recollection in retrograde succession. In English, this means his life was passing before his eyes. <laughs> I guess this is the guy who started that terminology. All right, Jane Seymour, at 36, the actress best known for her tenure as Dr. Quinn, medicine woman, went into anaphylactic shock when doctors injected penicillin into her vein rather than her muscle. In an interview, Seymour told Larry King that she remembered... Looking down at my body, was watching from the corner of the room, and I saw this white light. Actor Gary Busey had a terrible motorcycle accident, went into a coma for a month. Yeah, he's funny. I don't know. I thought it was a funny picture up there of him for a second. While undergoing brain surgery, Busey asserts that he saw angels all around him. They don't look like what they look like on Christmas cards, BC told CNN. They're big balls of lights that float, carry nothing but love and warmth. Actor Donald Sutherland, prolific Canadian actor, nearly lost his life to meningitis in 1979. Sutherland described his experience of near death as floating above my body, surrounded by soft blue light. I began to glide down a long tunnel away from the bed, but suddenly I found myself back in my body. Dr. Even Alexander III said while he was virtually brain dead for a week in 2008 due to a freak brain infection, neurosurgeon Even Alexander found himself in a spiritual realm of brilliant beauty, according to his website. Mary Jo Rapini, after suffering a brain aneurysm at the gym, clinical psychologist Mary Jo Rapini claims she was visited by God. According to Rapini, whose experience was chronicled by Dr. Jeffrey Long in Evidence of the Afterlife, God had no face or shape. He's just a voice who asked her, have you loved any person the way you've been loved in this short time here? She was told by God, you can do better. 
not validating any of these, by the way. <laughs> Dr. Michael Sabum, just in case you're wondering, where on earth is this guy going with this? <clears throat> in Dr. Michael Sabum's book, Light and Death, Reynolds asserted that she was pulled from the top of her head and saw a long tunnel with a pinpoint of light at the other end. As she went closer into the light, she began to recognize deceased family members who stopped her from going any further. Reynolds described returning to her body as being like diving into a pool of ice water. All right, so people have died and come back to tell us something about that experience. But unlike Jesus Christ, every one of those people and anybody else who claims to have had any awareness of life after they died, all those people died again. They died once, they came back to tell us about the experience, and then they died again. Or at least some of them are on their way to dying again if they haven't quite gotten there yet. Unlike Jesus Christ, we're not here this morning celebrating, singing about, and commemorating their bout with death and their coming back and experiencing life again. As a matter of fact, can you think of anybody that is being celebrated today or any other day that you know of who had a bout with death, claims to have come back to life, and a holiday was created, and people who never met this person, didn't know this person, and all over the world, they are all gathering together to commemorate this person's bout with death and coming back to life again. Jesus is a unique, unique individual. Joseph LeConte wrote a book called The Searchers. He says, religious leaders, writers, philosophers, scientists, kings, presidents, prime ministers, hardly any educated person has failed to encounter his influence. Regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, writes historian Jaroslav Perlikin, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. Can you you get the grasp of this? I mean, you're you're 20 centuries removed. You're 2,000 years removed from the story of Jesus Christ is buried in a tomb and he comes back to life. And the next year it's remembered and remembered and remembered and remembered. When we say that 2,000 years until we get here today. And we're all gathered together with people. I mean, if you're visiting or kind of new to the church, you, you, you don't even hardly know these people. And you're here in this building gathered together remembering this event. That's a little mysterious, isn't it? I mean, add to the mystery. You're, you're here in a building that people seated around you donated millions of dollars to build. I don't know how you are. One, you're giving up your time to be here. Everybody is. A bunch of people here gave up some serious bucks to build a building so that people could meet together to remember a guy named Jesus Christ on a regular basis. Is that weird or what? Now, it's weird. I got to tell you, it's weird and it's a huge, huge waste of time if it's not true. The Bible even says that. The resurrection didn't occur. The Bible says this about all of us here this morning. We are of most people to be pitied. Pitied. Sorry. If the resurrection isn't true, if what we sang about this morning isn't true, we're just a pathetic bunch of people sitting in this building today. It's true. But if it is 
true. How significant of a celebration is this today that we are remembering this activity of Jesus Christ coming back from the dead. But but here's what I want to focus in on. When Jesus came back from the dead, what did he talk about? What was on his mind? Right? He's, he suffered this agonizing death on a cross, beaten almost beyond recognition, nails driven through his wrist, hung publicly in shame, died a public death, buried in a tomb, and then he comes back on the third day. What's he got on his mind? Right, we, just, we just listen to what people sound like when they die. But what's interesting is if we just read, I don't know how many more stories there are, people who claim they died and came back to life. They all sort of sound like those, right? You've heard them. You know, they all look back. They see their body. Uh, Jesus came back, said nothing about that. He didn't come back and say, I was up in the clouds and I, I could see myself on the cross. Jesus said nothing like that to anybody. Because Jesus having a body was what was unique because he existed in eternity without a body. He took on the form of a human being. It wasn't enamoring to him. He wasn't freaked out like, oh my gosh, I got to come back and tell these guys. I actually looked at my body from outside my body. (laughs) Never crossed his mind. It wasn't that impressive. He dies and he doesn't come back and he says, I saw these bright lights. He is, he's not impressed. Remember, he's the light of the world. He's not impressed with lights. That's not what he's coming back to talk about. There's no reference to this feeling of warmth and personal peace. He doesn't come back and say anything about that. Now, remember, he was the prince of peace. So, in a strange way, he, he was at peace on the cross, He was never in a moment where he thought things are out of control. What does the future hold? Oh my gosh, how am I going to pay the bills at the end of the month? Jesus never knew anything of that. He lived at peace with God and therefore he lived at peace with life. He never came back and said anything about introducing people to some other realm. There was a tunnel. He was traveling through it. There were people there conversing. He doesn't come back and say anything about those things. So the question is, What does he come back and talk about? Jesus Christ came back from the dead. What was on his mind? What's interesting, he doesn't doesn't talk about a lot of things. If you just open the Bible up, if you've got a red letter edition, it's real easy. Just get past the cross and start looking for red letters. And you'll find, what did Jesus talk about after the resurrection? Adrian Warnock in his book, Raised with Christ, says, surprisingly, Few words spoken by the resurrected Jesus are recorded for us. What should therefore, we should therefore, sorry, listen carefully to these. Jesus said a few things, and I just want to hit on three things. If you had encountered the resurrected Christ after he came up out of the tomb by the power of God, and you had a conversation with him, you got around him, Three things I want us just to see briefly this morning. One, you'd never forget that encounter. You wouldn't be scratching your head here this morning saying, did I I encounter Christ? 
Matter of fact, you would, you would have an encounter with Christ that would redefine your life if you had encountered this Christ who was resurrected. Second, he would have talked with you about his mission and the course of the rest of your life. Nearly everybody he encountered after his resurrection. He brought up a mission in life. His mission and their future. Everybody he talked to. Third, he would have put you in touch with the Holy Spirit. The living presence of God. He would have talked about that and he would have connected you to the living presence of God by the Spirit. So turn with me to Acts chapter 8. So we continue our study of Acts. And we're going to look at a normal encounter with the resurrected Christ in Acts chapter 8. And I want, to just, I want to read a piece of this because we're going to look at a man named Saul who becomes the Apostle Paul here. And I want to highlight a reality. We're going to read through part of these verses and, and there's going to be a moment in which this man encounters the resurrected Christ. But you also got to see as we read these passages, there are people who had non-encounters with Christ. Maybe you could say close encounters, but not actual encounters. Non-encounters. Not everybody in the scriptures encountered the resurrected Christ. Not everybody today encounters the resurrected Christ. Let's read here. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. If you've been reading Acts up to this point, you'll find out a, a man named Stephen stood up and bore witness to who Jesus Christ was, that he was really the Son of God, that he had died on a cross, and he had died for the sins of the people who had actually murdered him on the cross. And at the close of his presentation, the crowd takes off their jackets, grinds their teeth, picks up stones to stone that man Stephen to death. That man Stephen gets killed. He gets executed here. And a man named Saul was present. And he must have been somebody a little bit in charge because people were leaving their coats with him on their way to go pick up the rocks to kill Stephen. Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. All right, so we're going we're gonna to meet a man named Saul here. And his, he's, on, he's on a mission. And his mission is to find Christians who believe this message about Jesus Christ and to haul them off with all the intimidation and the noise of busting into someone's house, seizing people. There's a great deal of fear in people's lives. This is what this man's up to, right? If you read the rest of Acts chapter 8, you get introduced to a man named Philip. Let's skip Philip and jump to Acts chapter 9, where we go back to Saul's story. So at some point later, could be, could be months, could be a year later, we pick up Paul's story here. But Saul, verse 1, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, 
he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. All right, here's this man, Saul. I'll just make a quick highlight here. You have in this presentation some people who, they're, they're, they're not celebrating Easter. It's not on their radar. It's not an event worth celebrating. It's a matter of fact, they're aware of it. They know of Jesus Christ. They know about the resurrection. They've heard presentations and preaching on it, but they've had a non-encounter with the resurrected Christ. Now, interesting to learn something from their non-encounter. Three quick thoughts here in your outline. One, non-encounters produce uninformed hostility toward God and his true message. The message of Jesus Christ ends up being true. But those who don't get it, there, there grew in them a hostility toward this message. Not a casualness towards it, a hostility toward the message. They murdered Stephen, a man who's just, he's speaking. He's not armed. There's no gun in his hands. He's just speaking. He's bringing forth an idea about who Jesus Christ is. They murdered him. The apostle, well, eventually apostle Paul, this man named Saul at this point, is going to reach into people's lives and terrorize them. He, he is a terrorist, capturing people for what they believe. Now listen, I, I, don't, I don't know where all of you were growing up, but I can remember back, there's a season in my life where if I got around people who were a little bit too, too Jesus-y, you know, uh, I, was, I was uncomfortable with that. It kind of made my skin crawl a little bit. You know, if you, if you brought up Jesus Christ, if you spoke about Christ in public, I mean, listen, I went to, to church growing up. I sat in meetings just like this, and it was the job of the guy up here to speak about Jesus. Listen, you didn't even speak about Jesus in the pews. I sat inside of buildings and never talked to another human being about Jesus, ever. You think I was going to go out there and do it? You think I could be standing on the playground, you know, shooting hoops and say, hey, man, so, so what about Jesus? I mean, that, that wasn't going to happen. And if you did that to me on the playground, you'd freak me out. That was weird. People had a little bit too much enthusiasm, you know? And that, that was weird. And that, that's true here. It's like these guys were a little bit too into this, and it affected them. Non-encounters exist within religious ranks and practices. Non-encounters. You can be around Jesus. You can be around the news of the resurrection. You can grow up hearing that information and have a non-encounter with it. I mean, look at who's on the list here. You've got a man named Saul who actually looks like he's working for the religious institution of the day when he goes around persecuting Christians. So he's around religion. He's around religion that reads the same Old Testament that the apostle Stephen preached from. Stephen preached from the Old Testament, the book that they were familiar with, and they murdered him for it. Saul dragging people off under the orders from the high priest. Do you know who the high priest was? I mean, we got nothing like that today. High priest, he was like the Pope, the high priest in his day. And he was in on this. Can you believe that? The most religious man in the world that anybody knew of, the high priest, was only one of them. And he was providing letters to Saul to go to Damascus in cooperation with the synagogue officials who were probably like little local pastors. 
All these religious people are in this together to drag off Christians and persecute them. It's pretty amazing what can happen when you've got information about Christ, but you've not encountered the resurrected Christ. Last, non-encounters can leave you mistaken in your sincerity. Sincerity, we, we, we respect sincerity. We're just a society that respects sincerity. If you sincerely believe something or you sincerely take certain actions, then we just kind of respect that. These people were sincere in their actions. That doesn't need to be questioned. They were not, they were not caustically angry, unreasonable. They sincerely thought they were doing the right thing to oppose people who believed in and followed Jesus Christ. But they hadn't encountered the resurrected Christ. And so you can be sincere and do some stuff. Listen, can you get this idea from the Bible? Don't get it from me, get it from the Bible. You can be sincere this morning and be doing stuff that opposes what God is about in this world. Because 2,000 years later, we're celebrating what God was about in Jesus Christ and the resurrection. And these guys on the pages of scripture were totally against that. You can be here this morning, attending church week after week after week after week in your life and still be opposing what God is doing in this world. None of us can escape that. But let's look for a second here at the apostles' encounter with Christ. Look in verse 3 there of Acts chapter 9. As he went on his way... He approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise And enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. He barely introduces himself and he gets to the point. I have a mission for you for the rest of your life, Paul. His his name's still Saul at this point. Verse 7. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. In a few moments, a man named Ananias is going to enter the story. and He's going to come and bring some news to this man named Saul. But this encounter happens to Saul. And Saul tells the story over and over and over again. It's recorded three times in the book of Acts. The last time he brings it up is all the way in Acts chapter 26. So if you fast forward there, this is a day when Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, is standing before King Agrippa. So now he's in, he's in serious water. He's gone from local issues to the king over the region. There's only one guy more powerful here, and that would be the emperor, and he's on his way to see him after this. So Paul's in some deep water here. Paul, what are you going to talk about? You're in deep water, dude. You're going to talk with King Agrippa. He's famous. You know some stuff about him. He's got political slants. He's got power. People die at his hands because he simply decides as king, your life is over. Go ahead. Take care of him. Paul, you're going to have a conversation with him. What are you going to say to this man? 
Acts chapter 26, verse 12. Kind of catch Paul's story already in progress here with the king. He says, in this connection, speaking to the king, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose. To appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me. To those in which I will appear to you. See, Jesus bringing up the mission that he was on and Paul's life being on a mission. Delivering you, verse 17, from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. All right, one day, a man named Saul, in sincerity, cloaked in the life of religion that he has known his whole life, is on his way to a town called Damascus on his way to persecute the followers of Jesus Christ, his disciples. And he encounters the resurrected Christ on his way. And that moment redirected everything about that man's life. A new story was written from that day forward. He still ended up going to Damascus, but when he got there, he didn't lay a hand on anybody. Something had happened in his heart. He realized opposing what I've been opposing, there's something wrong with that now. It, that was not the right thing. This is what you know, the Bible talks about, the word repentance. This is what repentance. I'm, I'm coming to kill people. I'm coming to put disciples in jail. But he meets the resurrected Christ. And he goes from being Saul in Acts chapter 8 to the apostle Paul. He's a different man now. How interesting. He went from arresting disciples to making disciples. The very thing that he opposed and hated and thought was not the way to live life. He became that very thing. This mover and shaker in Jerusalem and in the region right around it. Would depart from Jerusalem, become a missionary all over the world to proclaim often by himself, standing in villages where people had barely heard anything of what he had to say. He became a proclaimer of Jesus Christ. His, his storyline changed. And if you had met Paul after he met the resurrected Christ, you would have heard this story. King Agrippa or just common whoever. His story would have been different. Listen, how do you know? This is where I want us to make sure we walk out of here today. How do, you, how do you know if you have encountered the resurrected Christ? How do you know? We live in a religious world. You've heard lots of ideas about Jesus Christ. How do you know if you really, really have encountered the resurrected Christ? This may not sound like rocket scientists, but if you've encountered the resurrected Christ, 
you will talk about it. You came all this way just for that. (laughs) If you've encountered the resurrected Christ, you will tell people you've encountered the resurrected Christ. Listen, there was a point in my life where, you know, I don't know, I had some kind of a don't ask, don't tell policy when it came to Christ. I wasn't going to ask you what you believed, and I didn't want you to ask me what I believed, and there ain't no way I was going to tell you what I believed. And if the subject of religion came up, and the subject of belief in a higher power in God came up, I would have just fallen into some practices of the day. I would have described, yes, I go to church. Yes, I believe in God. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Yes. I believe in Christ. But if you didn't ask me, if you didn't corner me, you'd have never heard me say that to you ever. Until I met the resurrected Christ. When I met him, my whole life changed. Who I was before and who I was after changed. It it redirected the course of life. See, if my story sounds like, well, you know, yeah, I go to church and, well, you know, I'm, I, think I'm, I think I'm a pretty good person, you know. Try to do what's right by others. It's kind of the creed I've lived my life by, you know, golden rule kind of thing. It's, yeah, that's where I'm coming from. All right, do, do you understand the difference between that explanation and what the Apostle Paul says He would sit down with you and he would say, on my way to Damascus. Oh, I met the resurrected Christ and he changed everything about my life. Listen, maybe nobody in here was on your way to Damascus, but but people in here, you're sitting around people who've got stories. On my way through college, I met the resurrected Christ. On my way through cancer treatment, I met the resurrected Christ. On my way to divorce court, I met the resurrected Christ. On my way to my best friend's funeral, I met the resurrected Christ. I had a friend here who, I was in college when he got saved. He was driving in his car, called me. I don't know where he was going. Probably on the road to Damascus knowing this guy. Probably up to no good on his way somewhere he shouldn't have been going. But he calls me to tell me, I'm up at LSU going to college. And then he used these words, and I met the resurrected Christ. But that's what he had done, and it changed his whole life forever. There's a huge, huge difference between being able to tell about some data from history, some events. Saul knew about the cross. And the story of the resurrection. But he had never met the resurrected Christ until on his way to Damascus. And it became the story of his life. It changed everything about him. Francis Schaeffer said, Christianity is not just a mental assent that certain doctrines are true. Not even that the right doctrines are true. This is only the beginning. This would be rather like a starving man sitting in front of a great heaps of food and saying, I believe the food exists. I believe it is real and yet never eating it. 
Listen, if, if you have tasted of the food of the resurrected Christ, there's a big difference between the idea that there is some food available and agreeing and having no protest. And maybe you're not here saying, I'm an atheist or I just don't believe that kind of stuff. You're saying, no, no, I believe that. I'm cool with that. That's, there's a difference between you believing that food exists and you eating it and going, oh, mm, oh, I don't know what you guys are going to be eating today, but my wife's been cooking for a while. So I'm going to be doing some, oh, mm, today. I promise. You know, I'm not just going to say, well, Keith, was there food at your house? Mm, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there was food. Listen, when you eat something, you take it in and it is deeply satisfying, you respond to it. And if you've eaten at a restaurant that of all restaurants it is, and you've got to get this dish and it will rewire you forever, right? And, and somebody comes in town and they say, hey, we were looking for a place to eat you. You know, it's like you skid into the conversation. It's like, this, you have got to go and eat at blah, blah, blah. And you've got to have this. Uh, and you can't go on Fridays. It's way too busy. I mean, you're like this evangelist for that restaurant, aren't you? It's like you're on payroll with them. Because you, you have actually received something that had an impact on you. That's the Apostle Paul after his encounter on the road to Damascus. He has tasted something. And he is eager to tell everybody about what he has tasted. So, what if you're not eager to tell? And all I can do is promise you, you have not tasted. Having taken one bite of this, I guarantee you, you'd be telling others to eat it too. You couldn't help it. No one's got to put a gun to your head and say, you, you will say you like that. Come on. Tell everybody how good it was. You know, or guilt you into that. You know, your mother cooked for two days. The least you could do is say it was good. You know, that's what Christianity kind of becomes. I, you know, if you taste the resurrected Christ, no one's got to tell you to make up a story. You got a story in your life. And it'll be loud and you'll be eager and you will tell it to others. Or maybe you had a non-encounter with the resurrected Christ. Number two, encountering the resurrected Christ will launch you into a mission. That's what it'll do. Acts chapter 26. Look at, look at Paul's statement of mission. Jesus said this to him as he was resurrected. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me. I've appointed you. Saul, I don't know what your life was about before. Of course, Jesus did. But from this day forward, this is what your life is about now. You are on a mission. And when you, you know, find the red letters and you read Jesus, this is what Jesus talked about over and over and over and over and over again. Every time he encountered people, this is what he wanted to talk about. He wanted to talk about the mission, right? Luke chapter 24, just give you a little flavoring of his conversation. This is post-resurrection. 
He walks in on the disciples, verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. I think today he would say, don't freak out. Right? Can you imagine Jesus just there? He's been dead. But they were startled and frightened. Okay? Obviously normal human beings. And thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands? My feet, it is I, myself, touch me and see. The spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? <laughs> I don't know why he did that. You know, what was that? All right, let's just, let's just everybody calm down here. <laughs> Either that or this is, this is why Pete wants to do a little food thing every time we gather. They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. And he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Right? No, no moment where Jesus says, man, I was out of my body, 30,000 feet in the air, looking over Jerusalem. I couldn't believe what I could see. There was this warm, tingly, fuzzy lights going off all around me. I, I, I had an encounter with a voice that said something to Jesus doesn't come back and say any of that. He says, listen, everything I've been telling you from the beginning has gone exactly according to plan. Now take the next step. The plan has all come together. When you read Moses, you go all the way back to Genesis. And then you talk about the prophets and the Psalms. You talk about the Old Testament, the roadmap to describe who I was. I did everything that it said. I'm the man. That's why I came back from the dead. And now you are on a mission from this day forward. This is what you're about. That's what he wanted to communicate to them. You are on a mission everywhere. He communicated this. John 20, verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you, right? This is John's account of this event. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side with the disciples Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. When Jesus came back from the dead, he wanted to talk about the mission that men would be upon. When he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come up a good bit for Jesus. Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. So now they're way far north in Galilee. They're no longer in Jerusalem. They're way far north in Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. If you encounter the resurrected Christ, I've got to believe 
He'll be the same resurrected Christ presented here in Scripture. I've got to believe the things that were on his mind when he was resurrected and he met with his disciples over the next few weeks. And then when he met the Apostle Paul some three years later, he still talked to Paul about the exact same thing that he talked about these other disciples about. Go, therefore, I have fulfilled everything. Now you are on a mission. I have accomplished the good news. Now you go tell the good news. I've done it. Now you go tell it. Everybody that Jesus encountered, that's what he told them to do. If you had encountered the resurrected Christ in your life at some point, he would have sent you on a mission. And the future of your life would be on a different course as a result. Everybody who encounters the resurrected Christ has that experience. And if you fast forward in the Apostle Paul's life, he, he, he says at the end of Romans that he, he has fulfilled the ministry of the gospel that God gave to him. From Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. Right? If you've got your map going on, Mediterranean Sea, Jerusalem way over here, Italy way over here. Illyricum is almost all the way to Italy. The Apostle Paul spent his life on a mission. So he got to the very end of his life, he wrote Timothy, and he said, I have, I have finished the course. I have run the race. I have kept the faith. That was the mission of his life. Listen, listen. Have you encountered the resurrected Christ? That's just kind of an ethereal question until you look at those who encountered the resurrected Christ and you could tell. They're on a mission. Their life has become the mission that Jesus Christ was on. Last point, and I'll make it real quick. If you encountered Christ in his resurrection, he will have caused you to experience the Holy Spirit. And he would have talked to you about the experiencing of the Holy Spirit, the person of God in the Spirit who would now dwell inside the hearts of people. Luke 24, verse 49, Jesus' own words after the resurrection. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And in Acts chapter 1, that power from on high was the Holy Spirit. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Jesus brought up the Holy Spirit frequently after he was resurrected. When, when the Apostle Paul, some three years later, encounters the resurrected Christ and he tells him, go wait in Damascus and God sends Ananias to him. Ananias comes on a mission to do two things. To help Paul regain his sight and to bless him with the Holy Spirit. Now you get an idea here. Jesus had a very limited, very limited number of things he wanted to talk about after he came up out of that tomb. One of them was the reality of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit who brings the fruit of his presence. The experiencing, the tasting. Fruit's a great picture, 
Some you you eat fruit, you know it, right? You got your favorite fruits. It's juicy, refreshing, sweet, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the fruit of the spirit in our lives. The gifts of the spirit would be given to us. These divine enablements, the ability for us to do things that we couldn't do in our own abilities, but that God would give us unique abilities to do them. The power of the Spirit that would bring boldness and courage into people's lives so that that eagerness to tell the story of Christ could actually cause us to tell that story. And personally, what what about the comfort of the Spirit? The Holy Spirit is said to be a comforter in our lives. If you're here this morning, we're celebrating Easter. Listen, I don't know. Maybe you got to Walmart late and there weren't any eggs left and you're panicking today. But we're celebrating the resurrection. We're celebrating the reality that the Holy Spirit has been given by the Son of God to bring to us a reality, a reality of comfort, a reality of love and care, a reality of the fatherhood of God. What a ripoff. If there's anybody here today who thinks they're a Christian and that experience is foreign. I don't know where, I don't know where you purchased that, but take your receipt back and get a refund. It's a ripoff. It's not an encounter with the resurrected Christ. Eric, go ahead and come back up, buddy. Listen to this, Romans chapter 5, verse 5. The Apostle Paul, experiencing the Holy Spirit, said God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured, poured in. Are you here today aware that the, the love of God is overflowing in your life? You know something of being deeply, deeply loved by God. Galatians 4, 6 The Apostle Paul, again, receiving the Spirit, says, Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Right, you're here. I don't know all that we could be going through in this life today. But do you you draw incredible comfort from the thought that God is your Father? Does your heart cry out to God with an awareness That God is my father. What a difference it makes in my life because the spirit has made these things real to me. Real to me. Not non-encounters, but real. I'll give you these two helpful thoughts before we pray. Howell Harris was a uh, Welsh Methodist preacher back in the 1700s. His encounter with the risen Christ, he said, Suddenly I felt my heart melting within me like wax before a fire. And love to God for my Savior. I felt also not only love and peace, but a longing to die and be with Christ. Then there came a cry into my soul within that I had never known before. Abba, Father. I could do nothing but call God my father. I knew that I was his child and he loved me and was listening 
to me. My mind was satisfied and I cried out. Now I am satisfied. Give me strength and I will follow thee through water and fire. There's a reality to this. It's real love from God. It affects my soul. It touches the way I experience life. An awareness of God's nearness and care by the Spirit. Charles Spurgeon always had a gift for words. Oh, he says, says one, I've lived 50 years. I've never felt anything of God. Say that you had been dead 50 years. That is nearer to the mark. But if you had been quickened by the Holy Spirit 50 minutes, this would have been the first fact in the front rank of all fact. God is, and he is my father, and I am his child. You feel him. His presence is photographed upon your spirit. Your very heart trembles with awe of him. Let's be honest today. How many of us, we might need a new normal encounter with the resurrected Christ. A new, a normal, normal like this encounter with the resurrected Christ. As we pray in just a moment, I I want everybody here to be in touch with the realities of these things. Not not, not the, oh yeah, I I believe. Oh, I've always believed. You know, I've always been a religious person. Here's, Here's the litmus test. Let's take your life just for a moment and just dip it in these realities. When Jesus Christ came back from the dead, And he encountered people and they encountered him. One, you will have a story to tell about that encounter. Or dip your life in that for a second. When was the last time you told that story? Have you ever told that story? Listen, if you got no story, it's it's scary, but it's real. You probably got no resurrected Christ. You tasted the resurrected Christ, you'd be, you'd be drumming up business for that restaurant, I promise you. If you met the resurrected Christ today, secondly, you would know. Dip your life in this. You are here today on a mission. You were on that mission last Wednesday. You were on that mission three weeks ago. You were on that mission when you encounter people, you're on that mission in line at Walmart. You're on that mission when you earn a paycheck. You're on that mission when you love and care for your family. You're on a mission. Listen, don't extract that activity from the mission. What was the mission? It wasn't just loving and caring for your kids. It wasn't just getting a job. It wasn't just being a decent citizen. Jesus didn't talk about any of those things when he came back resurrected from the dead. He said, the mission that I'm saying you're on is to take my gospel, what I just accomplished on Good Friday, dying in the place of guilty sinners and coming back to life on their behalf. Take that news to everybody in the world. That's that's practical. You can put a finger on that. You can actually say, yep, yeah, 
I can locate that mission in my life last week, two years ago. I can find it. One more. If you've encountered the resurrected Christ, you are experiencing the Holy Spirit in your life. The nearness, the love, the care, the fatherhood of God, the ability of the Spirit to do things that you find difficult for you to do, he gives you the abilities to do them. You are experiencing those things. Listen, those three things describe the resurrected Christ. Not a hundred, those three things describe encounters with the resurrected Christ. Let's stand up together this morning. Lord, I thank you for gathering us here. I thank you for the the mystery, Lord, the strangeness that 2,000 years ago, a man like no other man would be discovered to not just be a man, he would be God himself, capable of overcoming even death and be resurrected. And 2,000 years later, Crowds are gathering all over the world because that was significant for every one of us. But Lord, Lord, here's the reality. Reality is, just like Paul or the high priests, it's like synagogue officials, just like religious people in every setting in every corner of the world, people know this story. People have thought about this story. But Lord, have they really encountered you, the resurrected Christ? Are they here today saying, I've got a story to tell about that encounter? I'm on a mission. I live my life so that the gospel can be told to more and more and more people. I've been experiencing the indwelling presence of God. What Jesus did on Friday was tear down the wall. So that the spirit of God could once again dwell in the hearts of men. And I know something of that. Lord, you want that to be real. You want that to be the biggest news that defines our lives. Lord, you you want Easter eggs and bunnies to get lost in the bigness of this news. I stand today to remember... That in 1979, I encountered the resurrected Christ on my way to trying just to live life as a teenager. I encountered the resurrected Christ and I've never been the same. Lord, would you sweep through this building this morning? You find every heart that truly is here this morning saying, I want that kind of an encounter with the resurrected Christ. I've not had that. You've not described my life, but I want that to be the description of my life. Listen, just bow your heads for a moment in prayer. When people encountered this message in scripture, some of them even ask, what do I do? What do I do? I I, I believe what you're saying. What do I do? 
The Bible says to repent and to believe. It says to repent, to turn your life away from selfish pursuits, away from sinful pursuits, away from the things that you have made life about, whatever they are, things that you know right now in your heart God is not pleased with. Turn from those things. This morning, say in your heart, God, I'm turning from those things. And put your faith somewhere. Where? Where do you put your faith? Don't put your faith in being a good person from now on. Don't put your faith in coming back to church next week. Here's where you put your faith. Put your faith in what Jesus Christ did for you on Friday. He went to a cross. He took your sins. Every one of them. And he received the punishment in his own body for your sins so that he could give you forgiveness. So this morning, put your faith in him and receive his forgiveness. Tell him that in your heart. Say, Jesus, I put my faith in what you've done for me. And I receive forgiveness today. Easter 2013, I receive forgiveness in my life today. Open your heart right now. And the promise is you will receive the Holy Spirit right now. You just got to believe and turn and open your life and say, okay, Lord, I want to encounter you this way. Open your heart right now and say, Lord, would you come, would you come dwell in my life by your spirit? Send the Holy Spirit to live in me. Bring to me your life, your life, your desires, your thoughts. And Lord, I will follow you all the days of my life. You tell God that. Use your own words. Tell that to God right now. Repent from where you've been and how you've lived. Put your faith in what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross to forgive you of your sins and receive forgiveness and his spirit into your life right now, this morning. Lord, I trust that for some today is the road to Damascus day. Today is the day, Lord where a whole new life begins. Today is a day for some that this morning they have, they've realized you have been distant. Now you are my Lord. My life belongs to you. Lord, from this day forward, tell your story again and again. Send every person who's put their faith in you on the mission of all missions to tell the story about what Jesus Christ has done to forgive man's sins. Spirit of God, go in hearts from this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay, let me, let me ask you guys to do this. Most of you guys are going to be going to be with family today. You're going to get around people. You're going to be eating a meal. Listen, don't, don't be like one of those people where it's weird to talk about Jesus. Today's the resurrection, man. If you can't bring him up today, you'll never bring him up. If you're here this morning and you prayed with me this morning and Jesus Christ has come into your life, you know this was a significant day. This was your day on the way to Damascus. You met Christ 
the resurrected Christ today. Why don't you do something? I just dare you to be real brave. This is what the Holy Spirit does in you. He's in you. He'll, he'll give you help. When you go have lunch today, maybe it's with people who no one's going to be here with you that was here today. Tell them. Tell them what happened. Tell them your story. Did you taste something that meant something to you? Tell your story. Tell your family. Hey, this morning, I went to church this morning. And, and I put my faith in Christ. And there's a, I think there's a new thing going on in my life from this day on. Have some boldness. Talk about Jesus Christ. Amen? I bless you guys. Have a great day.